Welcome to the Book Club Interview with your host, Scott Hollister, a show that empowers you to discover your best self through a deep understanding and review of books dedicated to self-improvement and business. All right, welcome to the Book Club Interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Anthony Price, who wrote Get the Loot and Run, Finding Money for Your Business. Welcome to the show today, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks for having me on your program. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. You you hosted a class recently in Hartford, Connecticut uh, that I was lucky to attend and learn a little bit about you know crowdfunding and getting some uh, loot for your business. So I was uh, happy to be a student in that class. Well, it, was good. it was good to have you and um, good things happen when people connect and look at us. We're connecting now. There you go. Yep. So before we get started, you want to tell listeners a little bit more about yourself and where you came from? Yeah, so um, my background is economic development. So I've worked for three economic development entities here in the state of Connecticut. My job was to recruit businesses, to retain businesses, um, as well as marketing uh, the cities that I worked in. And over the years, I inherited a loan uh, portfolio. So I learned about managing a loan portfolio from the ground up, learning how to underwrite deals, learning how to structure deals, learning how to get get the deals approved with the attorney. And then if deals went bad, which occasionally they did, learning how to deal with the the aftermath of that and um, making sure that uh, we'd be made whole uh, when a deal went bad. So kind of the whole loan servicing aspect of it. And about... Uh, four years ago, um, I left my company I was working with in Hartford, which was a community-based lender, and I started my company, Loot Scout. And what Loot Scout does is we help uh, entrepreneurs build a better business and source capital. And when I say source capital from the full spectrum of capital, whether it's bank financing, whether it's crowdfunding, which we were talked about at that, that seminar that you went through, to economic development funds, um, there's so many different ways to fund a business these days. Um, and so it's a good time to be alive and trying to build a business. That's phenomenal. And I, I loved how you, you you came to write your book and, and how you funded it. Uh, tell listeners a little bit more about that because we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the crowdfunding and different parts that you spoke about, but just, just a genius idea. I loved it. It took a lot of creativity and that's kind of what sets entrepreneurs apart is, you know, can you be creative and, and source the capital that you need to grow your business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm like everyone else and I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, you're always looking at um, limited resources and the challenge is to figure out, you know, how, how you can bring all the parts together. And I did use uh, the crowdfunding uh, website Kickstarter to uh, fund my, my business, uh, fund my book project, actually. And I did everything else. I did everything that what you would do or anyone else would do in a crowdfunding uh, campaign. I put together what I felt was a compelling um, story saying I was going to go out and help entrepreneurs source capital and educate them about all the different sources out there. You know, I put together my team of a graphic designer. Uh, my friend owned a video production company, so he shot the video. And um, a little note on that, you don't need to hire a video production company. You don't need to have a friend who owns a video production company. Um, you can just do it with an iPhone or you can do it with the way that we're doing it, just on our laptops. So I put together the team and went out there. In the 30 days that it took me to raise the capital, I aged about 10 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Kickstarter. You know, it's all or nothing. So that clock is ticking. And so every, every uh, contribution I got from my funders, I was excited. As I mentioned um, in the event, someone gave me $5 and I was like jumping up and down because it kept moving, you know, the needle closer to my goal of raising $5,000. 
Um, an example in the book that I wrote, Get the Loot and Run, I say that uh, doing a Kickstarter campaign is sort of like strapping um, rockets to your back and you just take off. And it's, uh, it's a wild ride. Let's just put it that way. That's amazing, though. Did it come down to the wire? Did you kind of have all the funding right, right before the end? No, it came down to the wire. So I, like I said, I did age and it was um, <laughs> a challenging experience. But I want to go through that experience. So when I recommend crowdfunding to other people, especially rewards-based crowdfunding, whether it's Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I know exactly what they're going through because I've been in their shoes before. Mm. And uh, the, the way I look at crowdfunding, especially rewards-based crowdfunding, it's sort of uh, like having access to the largest bank in the world. Um, so anytime you need to raise money, you don't have to go to a bank where a bank will say no if you haven't been in business long enough or if you don't have collateral, if you don't have a good credit history, you can go to the largest bank. And that's people like you and me. Um, if you're able to make a compelling case, um, you can get the money from your fans. And I think crowdfunding has so many great uh, benefits to um, small businesses out there. And that's amazing. And that's one of the first sentences that kind of jumped out when I read your book was you don't have a capital problem. You have a business model problem. And and that kind of like stuck a chord with me. And I like that a lot. So can you enlighten you know, us on what you mean by that? Yeah. You know, as entrepreneurs, we're always looking for capital. So our issue never really is us. It's always this, I don't know, where's the capital? How do I get it? You know, what, do, what hurdles do I have to go, go over? But I think few businesses stop and, 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 and reflect on what is it that we bring to the table as entrepreneurs, what kind of problem are we solving? Um, is my particular situation right for bank debt? Is my situation right for crowdfunding? So I think the first thing is to, is to stop and, and because the tendency is just to run and go and try to raise the capital. But I think the main thing is you have to look at what the project, what you're bringing to the table and how this capital is going to hurt, is kind of going to help your business, not harm it. And I think we as entrepreneurs tend to skip that step. Um, and so I think we need to be more reflective. So I always say, look in um, inward before looking outward for capital. And, and that's where that whole saying goes, you don't have a, cap, a capital problem, you have a business model problem. Because some things aren't fundable. If you're going to a bank and saying, um, you know, I want to take a chance on this community center, it's not going to have any revenue for a year, but it's going to be a great place to have fun and paint and do all this stuff. Banks, bankers are going to look at you like you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's just not the right place to fund a business. Um, so that's why you have to start at looking at what you're bringing to the table, what your business model is, because there's a lot of business models out there. Even, you know, look at, um, you know, Uber's going public uh, now. Uh, Lyft just went public not too long ago. And Uber and Lyft both aren't making money. Um, and those are huge companies. And, and Lyft, you know, is a publicly traded company now. I mean, for the most part, you know, a smaller business is not going to have resources to go to, especially for a bank. A bank's going to say, well, you're not profitable. You, haven't, you don't have any assets. Why should I fund this? So that's why you have to look at your business model and see if there's some ways where you can generate some revenue streams. And that's why I like the crowdfunding, because you have a chance to introduce something new to the world. You have a chance to get people who are excited about your product and actually pre-order your product. So now you have a revenue stream that's built in. Um, and then the bigger thing, I think, is just generating the publicity um, and the excitement and the energy for your product. So you can start off on Kickstarter and a year or two down the road after you've been successful. Now you could have a business that's fundable from a bank or other source. Mm. That was great. So in terms of, I think the, ex, uh, was it the example that you used in the class was uh, the gentleman with the frying pan, mm -hmm. right? So right. that is more of like a rewards based crowdfunding yeah. source. 
Yeah, yeah. So there's a company called Misen. They spelled M-I-S-E-N, and they've they've done three Kickstarter campaigns. The first campaign they raised over a million dollars, and what they were offering was a knife, and it was a kitchen knife that was better than other knives that chefs were using. And at the time, they offered that for sixty five dollars, and they raised over a million dollars. And then the second campaign they raised about six hundred thousand, and the last campaign uh, for another product, all three different products, they raised over a million dollars. So between three projects, they raised over two point six million dollars, and so that's sort of become a standard um, or a gold standard for people to look at and say, "Wow, what did they do um, to raise all this particular money?" But just to go back a little bit, there are basically three different types of crowdfunding. The first is donation-based crowdfunding. So you go to a website like. GoFundMe, someone's sick in your family or you're looking to take a vacation and you, you know you need to raise some money, you can go to GoFundMe. That's donation-based. So the people that donate to your campaign don't get anything but the the excitement of helping you, you know, pay for medical bills or, you know, go on a trip. And then the second type of crowdfunding that is available is reward-based crowdfunding. And that's what I was talking about with Kickstarter and Indiegogo. In those campaigns, what's happening is you are provided a reward. So let's say, for example, in the case with with my campaign for my book, Get the Loot and Run, um, if people contributed $25, they got a copy of my book. And so today the book sells for for $35. So they got the book at a discounted rate. Um, And then I also had other rewards. Uh, There were a couple things. If you pledged a certain amount, you could put an ad in the book. And so I got really creative. So that's reward-based crowdfunding. So that's Kickstarter, that's Indiegogo. And then the last type of crowdfunding is what they call investment crowdfunding. Um, some people refer to it as um, regulation crowdfunding, uh, CF, reg, reg CF crowdfunding. Um, mm-hmm. And occasionally you'll hear people say it's called equity crowdfunding. Equity crowdfunding is sort of misnomer because you don't have to actually give up uh, specific equity in your company when you do um, investment crowdfunding. You could do some kind of a loan or revenue sharing um, mm-hmm. arrangement. Um, and so there's platforms out there like Republic, um, and a few other websites uh, we, we funder. Um, those are investment-related uh, um, crowdfunding websites, and that was all made possible through the, J- the Jobs Act of 2012. And so basically for the first time in 80 years, uh, the everyday citizens like you and me can participate and invest in privately held companies. So you know, when Facebook went public and all these other companies, if you weren't a wealthy individual, you couldn't participate in those type of um, investments. Now, um, as long as you do it on a platform that's approved, you can now invest in companies, small companies. And that's amazing. And then you also spoke about another law. So you said about 80 years. Did that bring you back to that blue sky law in about the 1930s you were talking about? Yeah. So basically, well, with the, the, so basically, securities laws were started back in 1933. So I was referencing 80 years ago. Most of those laws were were, were passed 80 or more so years. But these blue sky laws were um, came about because all these kind of uh, there was all these oil schemes and gold schemes, and people were being defrauded. Um, it's almost like they were selling everything, including the sky, um, you know. And so there were a number of laws that came about to. Um, to prevent that from happening. Um, and in, in, a, in an example here, I'm looking at it says that speculative schemes, which have no more basis than so many feet of blue sky. Um, that's what they were talking about. So a lot of states passed their own uh, regulations to, to um, monitor um, investments in privately held companies. And that's when eventually 
1933 or so when the rules changed and, you know, you no longer could just invest in any company because the states were trying to protect grandma from losing her fortune or grandpa or, you know, our parents or grandparents from, from losing a ton of money. And that's really the main function that these regulators uh, perform is to make sure that um, investors have a certain amount of information to make an informed decision. Um, so, that's sort of a quick lesson. Uh, um, yeah. You know, if someone wanted to jump in, they can go on- online. I'm not a- an attorney, but all this information is available, obviously, through the beautiful world of the uh, uh, internet. Of course. Well, we appreciate the backdrop because it, it allows us to go into the book and you broken that down into five parts. And, you know, part one talks about the vision, mission and culture of a business. So you talk about having people lead with the vision. Now, why is that so important as an entrepreneur and business owner? Yeah, I think it's really important for, for any business, especially today. We're in a very tight labor market, so companies are competing for the best talent. And mm-hmm. so the vision essentially shows where you're going and what the world's going to look like once your product is in the world and solve that problem. And so that's a great way to get people on board. If you show them the vision of where you're going, then they can either agree with where you're going or not. Um, but it's a it's a great way to motivate uh, an individual in terms of we're going to start here and we're going to do this. I mean, if you look at Facebook, Facebook wanted to basically connect the entire world. Um, you look at Uber, they want to be a transportation company that's linking everything. So many of these companies that start off small have these grand um, ambitions, ambitious um, goals. And those things are able, those kind of goals get you excited. You look at Tesla in terms of making, you know, any, having any renewable energy sources for transportation. And now, you know, he's doing that with Solar City and some of the other things. You know, he's got um, SpaceX. He wants to be able to, you know, populate, uh, you know, create, um, you know, colonies outside of Earth one day. So those are just grand, ambitious visions of where they, you know, see the world, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years down the road. Yeah. And I also loved in part one, you, you, you spoke about focus, you know, really, you know, looking at the one thing and, and how you can improve. So you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. What, what do you say to someone who's just starting out to, to really focus? And, and you talked about solving problems. So how do you work with someone, you know, just starting out and, and looking at what they really bring to the table? Yeah. I think as entrepreneurs, Scott, you and I, we have this disease, we, this disease is we want to do so many different things. <laughs> Today, it's one thing. Tomorrow, it's the next yep. thing. Um, and that's the great thing about the entrepreneur, but that's also the problem. Um, you know, when you start a business, you have limited resources and limited time. Um, we only have 24 hours a day. And what happens with entrepreneurs who aren't disciplined, they jump from one idea to the next. If it doesn't work in, in 24 hours or whatever it may be, uh, or a week or two, they jump to another idea. Um, to be successful and to do well at any one thing, you have to have focus, your energy and your time. Um, just think about Tesla. They've been around over 10 years or so. Just imagine if, if Elon Musk decided to stop after a year or half a year. I mean, you wouldn't see what you know he has today and what he has in store in future. So we just need to focus in on figuring out where we want to go. And the, the, the real thing that a lot of entrepreneurs forget is that a business is all about solving a problem. Um, a lot of us want to make the money. Money is a byproduct of solving a problem and making customers happy. If you focus in on solving a problem for a customer um, and creating value. So when you solve that problem, you create value. And so people are willing to pay for that. So it could be something as simple as if you have a pet and you don't want to pick up after your pet, you'll hire a dog walker 
to do all of that that for you. That's creating value. Now you can spend your time doing doing other things. So that's really what entrepreneurs need to focus in on is is solving a, a problem and creating value. Um, uh, in the book, I mentioned hair on fire problems. So if your beard was on fire right now, Scott, you'd do <laughs> anything to to put that that fire out. And that's really the the, the main thing that you need to to do um, is to um, is, is is to solve solve a problem for the marketplace and create value. When you create value, you build uh, successful businesses, and we've seen it happen time and time again. And that was good. That was a great uh, key takeaway that you mentioned during it. And you, you, you probably, um, one of my favorite quotes, I wrote it down on a notes after that class is uh, your financial success is directly related to the size of the problem you solve for other people, solve big problems and you'll make big money. And that, uh, I believe Brian Tracy, you know, said that. And, and how has that quote helped you in your business? Yeah, no, he's he's right on. When you when you solve these big problems that many people have, it leads to big markets. A uh, perfect example is Uber and Lyft. Um, they created what they call what we call a two sided market. So, for example, uh, Uber identified a whole bunch of people who had vehicles who wanted to make some extra money in their spare time, and then they also identified a lot of people who wanted to get from point A to point B who couldn't. So, for example, if you're in a small small town, there's probably not a taxi service. So they basically linked. A, a number of people who have transportation available and they linked the number of people who want to get from point A to point B. Um, and they totally revolutionized the taxi business. And then same thing with the two-sided market. When you look at what Airbnb did, they found a whole bunch of people, you know, maybe empty nesters who, whose kids have gone to college and graduated who had extra space and they wanted to make money. And it took a whole bunch of people who wanted to travel and not stay in a traditional hotel and have, you know, maybe a unique neighborhood experience. And so they created these two-sided markets to solve these big problems. Now, as an entrepreneur, you don't have to solve big problems. There's small problems that are worth solving as well. Um, and you can make money. Um, I, I think sometimes it's sort of um, sad that we only focus on these entrepreneurs that are solving these big problems. There's lots of problems out there. And so you shouldn't feel bad if you're not on the cover of Fortune or, or Fast Company magazine. There's lots of uh, small problems that are worthy of being solved out there. Mm. That's beautiful. And, you know, broke it down about the money in part three. And I think we uh, covered it briefly about the donation reward and investment crowdfunding. Um, moving on to part four, and that talks mostly about debt and, um, you know, equity. So, so what are some of the capital options when it comes to debt and equity that you like to see? I know that's a broad question, but any creative options that you've seen in the last 12 months or so? Yeah, I mean, I think what, what it comes down to is the it, the capital has to fit your business. So think of the your favorite pair of jeans or your favorite sweater or sweatshirt. Um, you want to be wearing your clothes, not someone else's. Uh, so you want to make sure the capital fits your particular situation. So all businesses go down this road, and at this road is this fork, and it's either debt or equity, and it's based on what your you know where your business is at at a specific point. Now, if your business is profitable and has cash flow. Um, and has some collateral and a little bit of history, then debt may be a good option because debt is relatively cheap in the sense that you don't give up any equity within your business. Um, so there's tons of different uh, debt options out there. There are peer-to-peer -peer sites where you can go 
and find uh, you know debt financing. Obviously, banks are available. Um, there's great programs to the Small Business Administration. Um, there's some community loan funds. I actually work for a community lender in the Hartford area. So um, let's say someone has some traditional bank financing and they get to a point the bank says, we can't lend you anymore. These community development organizations, they're called Community Development Financial Institutions, CDFIs. They generally lend, uh, they're nonprofit lenders and they're interested in serving the community. There's tons of those lenders out there. As I mentioned, the SBA, they're not a direct lender. It's a program that many banks participate in. Uh, so that's the debt side. The, and debt has its pluses and minus, just like everything else. And then the equity side, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, if you get to a point where you're starting a business and you have no collateral, there's no, there's no history of cash flow, it's very, very risky. And so in order for you to attract capital to your business, um, you need to find someone who's willing to take that risk. Um, because the, the sad fact is most businesses don't make it past five years. Many startups don't make it past a year or two. So if you're going to go down that equity route, you have to look at, you know, what is your vision? What's the grand vision you're selling your investors? And that's where potentially you can get involved with um, regulation crowdfunding or investment crowdfunding. Um, and there are other options. For example, you know, if you want to get wealthy people involved who are called uh, accredited investors uh, by the SEC, you know, they can invest in your business. There's angel investors, there's venture capital firms. Uh, now, to be honest, uh, not many businesses are going to get venture capital funding. It's a very, very small slice of all the businesses in the U.S., very less than 1%. Same thing with angel investors who are wealthy individuals. They're only going to invest in certain types of businesses. Um, and it's a very long, laborious process to get any kind of investment from an angel investor or a venture capital capital firm. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, I want to hear, you know, you've been around, you, you're highly experienced, you, you know, you wrote a great book. So what's come to the, the best advice or wisdom that you've learned over the years when it comes to business? Wow, that's a pretty uh, big question. Um, Tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's just basically, you know, having a plan of where you're, you're trying to go and, um, and, and be patient and know that your journey is going to be different from everyone else's. I think in this world where social media is so accessible to all of us, we have a tendency to go onto these social media platforms and see our friends and, and relatives and other people. Um, you know, showing us how well they're doing. And a lot of times we look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm the same age as that person and look at all the success they're having. And then we lose focus on what we're trying to do. So I, I would just say, be patient, have, have, have a vision and just focus in on where you're going. If, if you're solving the right problems at the right time, um, you will be successful, but just know that it's going to be on a different timetable than someone else um, out there. And that's really the main thing I say is just, you know, be focused and be patient. I, I think there's a tendency these days to, to assume that we're all going to be successful overnight. And there's very few people who are actually successful overnight, including these IPOs that are happening to these days with some of these new companes, even zoom, you know, went public, you know, mm -hmm. usually it's about 10 years or so for these companies to go public. So it's not, it's not overnight. Um, you know, contrary to what these popular, you know, media and business magazines are putting out there in the marketplace. Yeah, the ten-year overnight success. <laughs> well, you know, what about the guy who's fifty or sixty years old? I mean, I think they said uh, Colonel Sanders didn't become really oh, yeah. successful until I think in the sixties or something like that. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal, and those are definitely some wise words. And I, and I think you know, I, and I'm sure you still do with like there's there's struggles every week, you know, to to maintain that focus, maintain that consistency, and you know, positive, you know, mental state because it, it it's definitely a struggle, you know, at times, but. 
I, I'm sure I, I remember you talking about the story when, you know, you quit that W2 job, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of growth to happen. So I, I, I like the wisdom that you've gained from that. So you can, you know, teach others the right way. Yeah. The other thing too, I'd add on that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that point, Scott, cause it's really important. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a W2. I think in mm. the world that we live in today, it, everyone's just there, you know, the media makes it seem like we should all be entrepreneurs. No, we need people, you know, we're going to create jobs and we need people who want to work a steady job and, and so forth. And that's a great place to get experience. If you're trying to go out on your own and you're going to go into a specific industry, go and work for a while, learn that industry. I remember when I was in, in Hartford lending money, um, I came across an individual that wanted to start a business as a florist. And this particular individual had no experience being a florist. So as a lender, I'm not, I don't want to take a chance. This is not, um, you know, a game of monopoly where this is play money. I mean, this is money that, you know, you know, we need to get back so we can help the next entrepreneur. So I told that particular uh, um, individual to go and work, work as a florist. So now you're going to get paid. So it's basically a paid internship. You're going to learn who the suppliers are. You're going to learn what, the, when the busy times are for the business. You're going to learn all the challenges you face with delivering a product and so on. Learn the business because when you do that, you may decide, well, I don't want to be in this business. I don't want to be in a retail store all day um, and so forth. So there's nothing wrong with being a, a W-2 uh, for some time in period. In fact, pretty much most people start off that way. Well, that's Paul said. I'm glad someone's saying it because it's tough. I mean, you, like you see, you see all social media and you see all this. It's there's there's places for everybody and you just got to find what works and solve yeah. those big problems yeah there's nothing wrong with us with a side hustle as people say these days yeah. a part-time nope. job i mean there's nothing wrong with that um there's no shame in that I, I think finding something that you love to do um is is a gift and many people live their life without even having that gift so we're in a situation where we can kind of try some things and potentially maybe fail. But in, in reality, I never consider it failure because now we've learned, we eliminated one thing off of our checklist that may not be right for us. So that's the way I look at it. Well said. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, Anthony, thank you for coming on the show today. Before we uh, wrap things up, can you tell listeners where to find out more about you and where to purchase your book, Get the Loot and Run? Yeah, thanks. Um, so people can check me out on LinkedIn. So it's Anthony Price, Loot Scout. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the book Get the Loot and Run is available on Amazon. It's available as an ebook. It is a regular hardcover book. Um, what I will say to individuals is that the book is the reason I wrote the book is for it to be a resource. So there's so much information in it. Do not mm. go home and try to read this whole entire book at once. Um, use it as a resource. Keep it on the shelf. If you come across a marketing challenge, go to that section on marketing, read it. All the mm. chapters are probably like five or 10 minute reads. Um, and then, you know, read it, go to bed and the next morning, your subconscious mind will work on the problem. There'll be a solution. So use it as a resource, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, um, I love, you know, meeting with entrepreneurs, talking with them. If I can help you find capital and build a better business, um, let's, let's connect. Sounds great. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thanks so much for listening to this show of the book club interview with your host, Scott Hollister. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the book club interview.